This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, we're uh, excited and honored to welcome Matt Whitman, architect and principal of Whitman Estes. They believe uh, buildings and landscapes can be combined into one interconnected whole as the uh, planet faces rapid and unprecedented changes in the environment and technology the cities grow denser and wild landscapes are transformed in this new future an awareness and connection to nature is even more essential by composing environments with indoor spaces that extend outward and outdoor spaces that are livable and beautiful their designs support contemporary active lifestyles that value an awareness of the outside for more information feel free to visit whitman-estes.com again that's whitman dash estes.com hello matt welcome to the architecture and innovation podcast thank you very much for being here we're really honored hello tom good morning good morning matt we like to start our show off with a uh, a quote uh, or uh, that you, your favorite and uh, sh- share with your audience today what uh, really means much to you i think they'll be really excited to hear this Sure. It's a, it's a quote from one of my favorite architects, Frank Lloyd Wright. And he said, um, study nature, love nature, stay close to nature. It will never fail you. Love it. That nature, obviously there's a theme I notice about your practice because it's, it's got a, you've got definitely great range as an architect. And uh, not everyone has that, so I commend you for that. But nature, how does nature also inspire you and your work? And in so many ways, uh, we have this manifesto called A Right to Nature, and, and we believe that everybody should have access to nature and be able to experience that. And uh, for me personally, I, I think it came from uh, my childhood. I was very, very lucky to grow up in, in nature and spend a lot of time outdoors. I grew up in uh, eastern Washington, northern Idaho, ranching country with big wide open landscapes. And uh, I spent most of my time outdoors. So I was uh, outside logging or, or building fence or hauling hay and, and um, really spent most of my formative childhood in nature being outdoors. So I think that um, gave me a, an exposure to, to nature that continues to this day. Yeah, it, it's it's obviously very timely because there's such a focus on the environment. How has that impacted or in, and even further inspired you and your practice? Well, the, in some, we're very lucky. We have really fabulous uh, clients who you know who come to us with similar values. They also love um, being outside and want access to nature, and they want um, architecture that that gives them that. That connection. So, um, you know, one example, one project that's super fun that we're doing right now is we call it Mercer Grove. It's a, a home for a, a really fun family 
on Mercer Island, and they um, they found this property on Mercer Island that has um, a quite dense grove of mature fir trees. So there are um, eagles um, around there, ospreys, you know, lots of songbirds, um, song sparrows, um, and so they wanted to they wanted to build a house there, but they what they really love is being out in the trees. And so they wanted to find a way to make a house and, and not um, remove the trees. So we worked really closely with um, an arborist um, and the city of Mercer Island um, tree specialist to find a way to, to have a very small footprint. And so we have this really cool um, concept where you have uh, just a couple of very small footprint, very dense um, foundations, um, many of some of which will be hand dug to work around the canopies of the trees. And then we have these bridges and um, elevated decks that that float up in the canopy. So it's a really cool site that you access from the high high hillside, and you come out um, straight. And so as the hill falls um, forward from you, the trees rise up, and the the main living space is hovering out there um, in the canopy. So it really feels like you're you're living in the canopy and, and there's lots of places to open up and, and be outside on these decks. So the, the family will be able to kind of feel like they're, they're in nature as their house floats in the trees. That's fascinating. Now, do you, it, it seems to me that you come from the perspective of the person first in your work. Am I misreading it or is there some truth to that? Yes, I think that's right. I think, I think great architecture um, is about people. I think architecture is about, um, the person as they experience it. And, you know, we get a lot of inspiration for, from this tradition, you know, going back to um, Japanese gardens where it's very much about how you move through space. So you, you, know, you enter a, a place, you enter the site, you go through the front door, you, you, there's these thresholds that you move through. And so we're always thinking about it in a way like a, like a filmmaker would like a cinematic um, notion of, of movement through space and how you know how you the person experiencing that design what do you see what do you feel what is your view and so it's a sequence of of experiences that um, really drive the way that the the design of the architecture unfolds i like that you said sequence of experiences can you uh, kind of deep dive into that a bit that sequence of experiences. Sure, you know we're moving through space, and so if you if you look at the work of, um, for example, Le Corbusier or um, or Barragan, you know some great architects that we that we love their work. Um, it's kind of this tradition of, it's not so much a plan idea. It's not like a you know a shape or a or a, a pattern. It's rather a sequence of, of of places. So you know when you watch a movie, you're seeing a frame. You know you see. Maybe there's a close-up of, of a person's face, and then there's a you know zoomed-out mm-hmm. panorama of a of a landscape, and then there's like a close-up of a, a tree branch. You know, each of these is like a scene, and so that each of that scene is like an experience. Like you and I are having this experience right now, mm-hmm. talking to each other, and you know, hopefully the people listening are having this experience <laughs> listening to us. So we're always in this moment, having a specific um, thing happening in this moment, and so. So when we say a sequence of experiences, we mean um, there are distinct things that happen um, as you move through space. So, for example, in a house, um, you have one of the first things you experience is the front door. So the door pull is very important to us. We always think, like like Alvar Alto said, it's like the, the door handle is like the handshake for the building. Like you first meet the building oh, when you, like you touch the handle. 
So that's one experience. And then you open the door and then we have um, what is often a place of, of uh, what we sometimes call the drop zone where you, you, know, you take off your coat or your shoes and kind of um, orient yourself. And so that's one experience. You know, then you move forward into you know, what could be you know, the next room, which maybe it's the dining room, maybe it's the kitchen, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's um, kind of in-between space. And, and you move through the building that way. So you move up and down the stairs in each of those places. And it's really fun. It's one of the great joys that, that I um, love about our everyday work. You know, we have this great team, of talented people in our office, and, and you know, we're composing these images. So we're composing you know, individual um, drawings, basically, of parts of the building. And each of those drawings represents a very specific experience. Yeah. How would you describe the culture at your firm? If there's a, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious because there's so much I can see. There's so much involved, and there's there's a high level of care. Yes, I, I would hope that. I mean, for me, that my experience of it, I would say, is fun. I, you know, we have really fun people that are very talented, and and they really are very passionate about architecture and landscape and 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 nature and how we combine these things. So we've been lucky to get you know, you know really good people that. Um, have joined us and have a lot of the same same ethos, the same culture cultural values around um, making buildings that have a positive um, experience and a, and a positive connection with nature. So I like to think, you know, we work hard and and you know we stay up late sometimes, and you know it's it's hard work arch- making architecture and landscape sure. design is, is, is hard work, but it's fun work and, and good work. So we we do hard work having fun. <laughs> I like you know. I really like your description. Of what I, I'm writing here now, a description, Matt's description of words, but it's not really a description of words. It's actually your description of experiences are like really accurate. And I really, I've never thought of them, but there's a, there's a, a not sim, simple, but like a just a, a simple way of describing the total. It, it, and it looks like that's what you do with your work, although it's obviously in a in a built environment and a space. Is that is there a process, a formal process that you go through when you look at a project before you even you know set your designs into it and to start talking with the client? Just a formal process. You don't have to give away your IP, but yeah, no, no, it's no. We, I mean, we believe in sharing and transparency. Okay. Um, I mean, we have, we do we do have a very um, specific process, and that is really about. Um, and it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because I, you know, when people start working with us. They sometimes ask me that. Well, how do you, you know, how do you design this? <laughs> and, and I tell them, you know, like, you know, that's always the first question. You know, what, what, what do we draw here? <laughs> and so, I, what I tell um, our team is that, you know, it's really about every every project has a, a story embedded in it, and it's our job to kind of find that story. And a lot of the clues come from the site. So we do, you know, we always have a site survey. We often have a tree survey. We often work with a uh, biologists and ecologists to really understand the specifics of that place. And then we do studies on sunlight, views, um, you know, wind, neighbors, trees, of course, trees are very important to us. So we always want to know where the trees are and how big they are and how healthy they are. So we spend a lot of our time um, before we design anything, really understanding um, the specifics of that place, of that um, location, and what are the qualities there that we're trying to preserve and, and, and build on and amplify. We sometimes talk about like amplifying 
experiences. So for example, if you have a site and you have a, a location where the, you know, in Seattle, we really um, value sunlight because it's, there's so little of it. So <laughs> you're lucky you're in Newport Beach. <laughs> you have an abundance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, uh, we're going to come right back to that. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Syraclad. We're talking today with Matt Whitman, architect and principal of Whitman Estes. For more information, feel free to visit their website at whitman-estes.com. Again, that's whitman-estes.com. In regards to that, uh, that sunlight and those whole experiences in the, in the processes, how... Uh, somewhat of a baited question, Matt, but how important is, is sustainability to you and to that entire process? Oh, it's very important. It's very important. And um, I think that's the culture that we're trying to build is, um, is finding clients that want to build buildings that are sustainable. And, and for us, sustainability is very tied to um, really two things. I think the main two things that we think about sustainability are um, one is um, durability like what's going to last a long time so we're thinking about you know how do you build a building that can be there for a long time because really the most sustainable thing is to build nothing so if you're going to build something how do you build something that has the longest the lifespan so a lot of the inspiration for our, our work came from you know my background in, in rural agrarian areas where you know buildings were very functional and people built things to last a long time out of very durable materials like concrete steel solid wood and you know things that would weather so we're you know we're thinking about um, material choices that have a long lifespan that will you know we, we always tell people you know most of our work is housing and houses and we tell people you know you're, hopefully this is you know the last house you ever built and this will be there for you know you and your children your grandchildren um, and the second thing about sustainability for us is um, is beauty. And it, it may feel like, well, what does beauty have to do with sustainability? But we believe that if something's beautiful, people will love it and they will preserve it. So a beautiful building is something that people will want to keep. And, and um, so having those experiences, those qualities of bringing in sunlight and having natural materials that weather gracefully over time and, and, and that beauty that comes with aging naturally um, will be something that keeps the building um, preserved and, and loved. And it's kind of like modern furniture. You look at a lot of, you know, great modern furniture like Eames or a lot of the Herman Miller furniture, you know, it's, it's or Danish um, furniture. It's, you know, it's very expensive, but it's very well built. And so that furniture, people tend to uh, repair it, you know, rather than um, when it breaks, people tend to repair it and, mm -hmm. and fix it. So there's a, like Seattle has a really great culture of, furniture design and you know, we've designed some furniture um, and there's a great culture here of craft where you know if you people invest in high quality built things furniture and buildings and then they take care of them over time yeah i really love that it, it, what you just said about the, the beauty and and craft and how if it's when it's built when it's designed well you don't just toss it out and get another one you actually look to restore what's existing is that also part of your practice that you look into you know that restoration of what is really solid and has a, a, a solid frame to it for lack of a better word it is it is yes we do you know we do a lot of new construction and we also do a lot of uh, 
the renovations of we do a lot of renovations of mid-century buildings and um, you know, we had a really fun project called civic hotel which was a, a hotel that was built um, in the uh, early 1960s as part of the century 21 seattle world's world's fair so it had really great bones it was a, a concrete um mid, mid-century concrete frame long linear windows just kind of your classic um international style building of that time and then 50 years later, it had been uh, kind of run down and poorly taken care of. And then some new owners um, took it over and hired us to um, kind of bring back some of the, those qualities. So we kept a lot of the bones of it, which were, which were good with the big windows and, and openness. And then we um, kind of stripped it all down to the basic structure and then totally redid all the, all the interiors and redid the layout and um, built this really beautiful floating stair with glass rails and an open uh, solid fur wood treads. And so, you know, we kind of inserted strategically moments within it that were um, more uh, apt to 21st century, you know, modern travel, but still kept the essence of the original building. So it was very sustainable because, you know, everywhere around them, they're just, you know, knocking things down and Mm -hmm. building new things. But this was able, this was a way of keeping um, a lot of the original structure and, um, bringing a new life to it through design. Yeah. You know, a, a theme I've noticed in our, in our interview today, Matt, is there's an essence to, uh, all your work. Uh, it's not just, it's not, ta- it's not just tangible, but there's a, there's a, an, it looks like you distill things down to the essence tied back to nature, even in your work with, you know, new materials and, and, and new technologies. Is that a, if I'm reading it wrong, tell me no, but, uh, well, that sounds yeah, that sounds right, and I, I like that word that you used, Tom. The essence, like, what is the essence of things? And you know, the essence is, I suppose, the you know the the fundamental, you know, the middle, the inside of things. And so, a lot of the things that you, know, you can't distill them any further, right? Like a tree, or you know, a piece of solid wood or stone. You know, that's that is its in a sense its own essence because you couldn't really. It'd be difficult to break it down any further. And so, so we talk a lot in our office around architecture and landscape design around simplicity. We're always talking about how do we make it more simple? How do we simplify this? How do we, you know, get these shapes and materials to be more um, direct and simple? Because I think that is where it becomes powerful. You know, it's easy to keep adding layers onto, but I think it's harder to strip down and distill down to the basic essence. And I think that is um, where you start to see people having um, an experience is very real because the essence of something gives them a sense of, okay, this is very real. This is something I can touch with my hands and feel with my body. And I know that it's, it's going to be here. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go away. I can count on it. I love that. How do we simplify? My opinion is that uh, to make things simple, like you, you described, Matt, takes a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> it is. It's harder to be sensitive than complicated. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the word almost doesn't uh, really do it uh, justice in that actually what took anything, and specifically uh, architecture and your designs and your work, to get to be so simple took a tremendous amount of intellect, emotion, physical, physical exertion to get to be so simple. You might might disagree or not, yeah. but uh, I'm curious just your take on that. Yes, yes, that's that's the really it's that's the fun of architecture and design is you're taking what is a very complex, complicated, um, diverse set of things and 
you know, for me, it's, I always say architecture is a lot like, like farming where, you know, there's a lot of factors outside your control. You know, if you're, you know, I grew up on this farm where you could work really hard, but there was so many things like the weather was a huge, you know, you, don't, you can't control the weather, you can't control the market prices. You know, you, you worked with a lot of cattle and, and horses, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> so you have to kind of accept it. Yeah. Uh, but architecture is a lot of, in many ways, the same where you have, um, you, know, you know, the architect doesn't usually choose the site or the client or the, the program, right? The, someone, you know, mm-hmm. someone comes to us with a location, you know, they have a something in mind, you know, whether it's a house or apartment building or a hotel, they, you know, they have, they want to do something. So they come to us um, with these elements that we then, um, through our process, distill down and try to make them simple. So we, we have a really uh, specific process of, of what we call programming, where you take these individual pieces, like the different rooms, and we have arranged them abstractly. They're not arranged um, physically in space, but they're just arranged more abstractly. So you take these different rooms, and then you um, look at the site, and you try to start to um, weave these things together. And, and, and as your words are, like, get the essence of, like, what is the essence of this project? What is the essence? How do you make this simple? You know, how do you make these things? And it's a process. And we are lucky to work with really um, great clients that um, we have a fun back and forth with. Actually, a lot of our clients are, are architects or people in design themselves or, you know, fashion designers or graphic designers. We work with a lot of designers and we really enjoy the kind of collaboration with them. You know, there's a lot of back and forth and um, evolution of the design as we get something down on paper and kind of try it on and, oh, this fits, this could be adjusted, you know, let's move this around and it kind of evolves over time that way in a really fun process. Outstanding. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Clad. We're talking today with Matt Whitman, architect and principal of Whitman Estes. Our uh, acknowledgement today is for the Sunrise Movement. The, uh, the Sunrise Movement is a youth movement to uh, stop climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process. They're, uh, they're building an army of young people to make climate change an ur- urgent priority across America and the uh, corrupting influences of fossil fuel executives on politics, as well as elected leaders to stand up for the health and well-being of all people. For more information, their website is at sunrisemovement.org. Matt, uh, share with us uh, why uh, the Sunrise Movement uh, means much to you. Well, full disclosure, it was kind of a, a shameless plug for um, my daughter. Oh, <laughs> uh, my cool. daughter, who's uh, a junior in high school, and she's, she, she, I was not aware of the movement, and she got very involved um, through her um, what's called the Green Team Climate Team at her um, school. So I became aware of it. But it, what, what's very inspiring about it is, um, well, two things. One is that it's led by, by youth, so it's led by the people who are going to most experience the effects of climate change. So, you know, the people that have most at stake are, you know, our children and, and grandchildren. So um, it's, it's this very exciting idea that the people who have the longest life ahead of them um, are going to need to um, have things be very different. They need a radical shift in the way that, you know, we're um, burning fossil fuels and, and contributing to climate change. And the, but the second thing I really like about them, um, the more I kind of got, to know what they were working on was that they're very practical. They're very focused on what can be done, right? They're, you know, like many 
you know, many people are angry and frustrated about climate change, um, but, but what can really be done? You know, what can we do about it pragmatically? So they're very focused on um, just the kind of nu- the nuts and bolts of policy. They spend time um, talking to state legislature, um, at actually, you know, leaders at all levels. They have, um, you know, connections with um, state lawmakers, um, federal lawmakers, and, you know, the Biden administration, I know, has um, been in close contact with them. So they're really working very specifically and very practically on, like, what can be done? Who are the elected leaders making these decisions? What are the steps that can be done to make change? And they're just really focused on, like, getting up in the morning and, like, what is the work that we can do to make a difference? So it's a, it's a really great group. I'm very proud of them. I'm going to go back to something you had said that a lot of what you said was, is great, man. I really mean that is the evolution of design. Can you touch on that a bit? The evolution of design. Um, do you mean like within our own process? Yeah. Or? You had said uh, earlier the evolution of design. And I, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. I like, I like your phraseology. Yeah. I don't sure, know if that's sure. a word phraseology, but yeah, you. you did that with the evolution of design. And I, and I'd like it uh, fascinates me once again. Sure. Sure. I, I, I was wondering about uh, clarification because I think there's two levels to it and to try to keep it simple, you know, there's the evolution of, of architecture, which goes back thousands of years. So, you know, we're very interested in, in being um, innovators. We're trying to move architecture forward uh, by combining it with nature and landscape design and integrating these things. So you know, that goes back to this whole history of, you know, Egypt and, um, Japanese architecture, and uh, early modern architecture in Europe, and that whole evolution. So our work is building off of that um, as a kind of broader cultural project. But then secondly, specifically within each project, you know, with each um, person that we're, that we're designing for, there's an evolution of that specific design. And so we go through these, these phases, and sometimes the design we start with you know, doesn't look like the design we end with. It's like you make a painting, you know, you start out, Painting, it's, I think, like Corbusier said this. You know, you, like people would often ask, like Corbusier, when it, he's one of the great uh, modern architects um, of the uh, 21st century, and and they would say, well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you make this architecture? They always ask him, how, what is your process? And he said, well, it's like a painting. You know, I start out painting green, and then when I'm done, it's yellow. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they don't, it unfolds through mm. things you discover because as you start to um, to draw things and you try them on, you know, sometimes. Um, Sometimes the client says, "Oh, that's exactly that exactly works for me." But then sometimes the client says, "Oh, you know what? I now I'm having more children." You know what we've learned too with with housing, especially, is that people's needs are always changing. So it takes um, a long time to to build a building. You know, the, the design and construction process unfolds sometimes over years, and so during that time, sometimes people's circumstance change. So people maybe people's financial circumstance change. Their their family circumstance changes. And so we're thinking about you know, the evolution of the design and also the evolution of, of the needs of, the, of that place, which sometimes can change even within a year or two. Maybe you need more bedrooms. Maybe you know, a lot of people now are thinking about aging in place. People are having family members move in with them. There's a trend towards multi, um, you know, multi-use dwellings where people... Mm-hmm have multiple families or friends or um, in-laws or or kids living 
you know, with them. So the models are changing in a way that's like really exciting. Instead of having each person in their own dwelling, you have um, properties that have maybe two, three, four, five um, dwellings on them, and people enter from different points. And so it's it's kind of like a the evolution, like like a garden. You know, things are growing all the time. You know, you plant something, and then you plant carrots, but then, you know, the parsley starts growing in and you, know, you start to nurture it. And at the end, you have something that maybe is different than what you started with. Yeah. How often do you, do you experience that in, in your practice where things change significantly from the, the first inception? I think it depends on time. It's really, you know, kind of as a function of how fast the project goes. You know, some people, um, yes, a lot of our clients are often have young children or, or expecting children. So, um, you know, with those clients, usually they want to get this building done quickly because they have kids on the way and they need to move in there and use it. So, so those, we usually go pretty quickly, um, you know, versus people at other seasons of their life. Sometimes people are more, um, kind of later seasons of their life where they're downsizing their, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their kids are moved away and they don't need to be in the home as much. Maybe they have, um, they're traveling more. And so sometimes those projects um, change significantly because the more they think about it, the more they realize, um, hey, there's these opportunities. Hey, well, wouldn't it be great if I had a little guest house for my kids to stay in? Or, mm. or hey, since I'm or COVID has changed things too. People have realized, you know, with the pandemic that um, people are at home so much. And I need to work at home, so that's been changing too. A lot of people are thinking about, um, like, we're looking at a, a project right now with the with this, a family that. Um, they really are into fitness and swimming and, and spas, but you know, they can't go to the gym anymore. So they're what they want to make almost like a home retreat where they have, you know, their lap pool and their, their sauna and the fitness area. So some of those functions that we had been doing before the COVID um, working and um, fitness and, and things that were done in public are now being programmed back into people's dwellings. So that's really changing the way people are thinking about what they build. Yeah. Matt, is there anything that uh, we may not have touched on on your show today that uh, you'd like to share with the uh, with your audience? I think just the idea of density, I think that idea of um, that we're really inspired by about you know how to create architecture and nature together but also create more housing. There's this housing shortage that is very acute in Seattle where we are um, you know, we have uh, something like 14,000 people, new people every year between people being born and then people moving here. But we're only building housing for 10,000 people. So basically in Seattle, you have um, for every 10 units of housing needed, we're only building seven. And nationally, this is this is very common. It's even worse in, in San Francisco. And um, all across America, you're seeing this, this housing shortage where there, people need more housing. Uh, but we're not building enough. And so through density, if you try to build more housing, how do you build that housing quickly, but in a way that keeps nature in? So you know, we have been working with um, mass-produced, um, factory-built housing, rapidly deployable housing out of steel. And, and it's really fun because we're looking at uh, you know, how to keep these fundamental qualities of beauty and sustainability and, and nature, but do it in a way that... Um, that can be done and scaled to a large number of people. Excellent. Matt, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you here today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. It's been a lot of fun. 
Excellent. I'm glad you enjoyed. Our guest today has been Matt Whitman, architect and principal of Whitman Estes. Whitman Estes believes buildings and landscapes can be combined into one interconnected whole as the planet faces rapid and unprecedented changes in the environment and technologies are Cities grow denser and wild landscapes are transformed. In this new future, the awareness and connection to nature is even more essential. By composing environments with indoor spaces that extend outward and outward spaces that are livable and beautiful, their designs support contemporary active lifestyles that value an awareness of the outside. For more information, feel free to visit their website at Whitman-Estes.com. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by SiraClad. The uh, Architecture and Innovation Podcast by SiraClad features one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create a healthy living environment. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. We look forward to you joining us again next time. I'm Tom Dero. Thank you.